Thank you very much, Brother Femi. Can Great. you all hear me, please? Yes, we can hear you. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, well, let me start by thanking Dr. Bajola for the very kind words and his reflection on the topic that we have before us today. Yeah. What perhaps Brother Femi Oguntokun did not tell you is that uh, we were classmates in secondary school. Okay. So all the things he's told you about me are, are, are the more current things that he wants to share. We, we were classmates from JSS uh, 1 yeah. uh, there in Oliver Baptist High School. Oyo. And we have been Christian companions all these years by his grace. Mm -hmm. And it is my joy to find that he's still basking in the, in the light of God's grace and that he's part of such a vibrant community of faith like the Christian companions. When he asked me to uh, come and share my thoughts with you on the topic, I felt really blessed and privileged to have been invited. The Bible says that no man taketh this honor unto himself, except he that is called of God as was Aaron. So I think that it's such a great privilege when one brother has the opportunity to share grace with other brethren, not out of the depth of his own wisdom, but out of the manifold blessings and riches of the living God. And so I'm so grateful to the Lord and also to your society uh, for inviting me. It is my prayer that as we learn together at the feet of Jesus, we will never remain the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. We recall in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, Jesus was telling Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. But one thing, one thing only one thing is needful and mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her you know in the world in which we live today there are many pressures that draw us so that we are careful and troubled about many things but it's only one thing that matters and if we will be able to find that today it will be a great blessing indeed yesterday while at work I was speaking with a colleague of mine, actually a senior colleague of mine, uh, you know, European, and we were, we were chatting. I, I don't know why he came to the office to come and, uh, you know, talk with me because I, I guess he was going to find trouble because there's a way I, I just reduce everything to faith. And I thought he might not have liked it, but he was the one who brought up the issue. I was saying that he was losing energy in some things, uh, interest in some things, and I told him, and then he talked about how Europe had developed so much and Europe was now on a state of decline, as it were. And I said, well, what happened to Europe will happen to America, to North America generally, not just uh, the United States, but Canada as well. They will get a point when they can develop no more. And the only way to develop will be to find faith again, to mm -hmm. find God again, to realize that it is not a shame to believe that God exists that is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yes. And then he paused a bit because he didn't expect that. We are both psychiatrists and he thought that would be more sensible. But the truth of the matter is whether they are willing to believe the truth or not. The Bible says you can do nothing against the truth. But for the truth, if a world has rejected its maker, that world must be in a state of decline. If that world finds its maker again, that world will be reinvented by its maker. It's as simple as that so that was just by way of an aside as i prayed concerning today's meeting the lord said to me tell my brethren my mama my, my, my children that he will be bringing us to the place of repentance and new beginnings mm -hmm. it will be a place of repentance 
and new beginnings as we reflect upon the word of god together the first scripture that i would like to share with us as a base upon which we will build this tower of understanding is in second timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and 8b now i'm really sorry i might delve into a number of scriptures not because i want to constipate you with scriptural knowledge no but because the bible says that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god if i were to teach you from the wealth of experience that i have it would be a disaster because i'm a young man and there are people on this platform that are grandfathers i know the crowd that uh, Femi rules with. They are elderly people, young people. It's a mixture. So I can be sure that's what this society is. So I will not speak to you from the experience that I don't even have. But I will be speaking to you from the mind of the ancient of days. Who is uh, the ancient of days? Let me put it that way. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, and then HP. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. One, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of men having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now, the whole essence of the peril of this age is not that things will be so vastly new. No, 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 no. But it will be targeted at only one thing, to produce human beings who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. To, pre to produce Christian societies like yours, Christian groups like mine in my own church, where we will gather in the name of Jesus, but our objective will not be Jesus. Now, that is the intention of the change in our world today, to bring us into great peril. Now, in verse 8b, it goes on to say, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. Oh, but they will progress no further. Dr. B Dr. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 the president of the society. Dr. Bajola. Dr. Bajola was saying that our faith is under attack, and I agree with you, sir. And we must face that reality. But the Bible says they will progress no further. For their folly will be manifest to all. Now the world may progress in its own unrighteousness and land in hell. But for us who are believers, who have sort of lost our ground and our direction and our feet in whatever way, the Bible says that whatever is causing that decline amidst us, it will progress no further. And today, as we begin to share from different strategies of grace, we will realize that we can halt the decline, starting with yourself and starting with myself. Now, by the time we come to Matthew chapter 24, 
we now see another character of this perilous time. Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13. He says, and because iniquity, the New King James calls it lawlessness, will abound. The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, Femi knows that I'm a Baptist. But I'm a man of the entire household of faith. So I don't discriminate. So I have been praying for the Church of England ever since I began to hear that things have changed to the point that even canon law is about to be altered so that men can marry men. Of course, the Church of England has already talked about blessing same-sex marriages. But they now want to go to change canon law so that it will not just be blessing, it will be marital union in the sight of the church. The Bible says they shall progress no further. Now, am I attacking somebody who has homosexual tendencies? As a psychiatrist, I can tell you that there's hardly any human being who cannot develop homosexual tendencies. If you go to prison and you find men having sex with men, not all of them are homosexual or born homosexual. Is because of the circumstances. So I'm not condemning any life. What I am saying is that for us as believers, it is not in the law of the spirit of life to guarantee blessing for what God explicitly condemns. But he says the reason is that lawlessness, even canon law, can become now lawless. It will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Now, it does not say that the love of many has become cold. He said we grow. The old King James says we wax. It will be a gradual process, but it will be steadily and surely. But he says he will endure to the end. And the reason for our lecture today is to come to a point where we can understand the strategies of grace for enduring to the end. So, we now see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to verse 17, a critical strategy that will help us to halt the decline and step back from the edge of the cliff. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If any loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. They are mutually exclusive. And the world that we see today, it says it is passing away. And the lust of it. You know, I tell people sometimes when they, when they talk about, well, I'm going to do this and do that all in the name of marriage. I say, well, be careful how you toy with your salvation. Because of a man or a woman that you are married to. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31, that it is a fashion of this world that we pass away. That in heaven, the Bible says that they will be as angels. They will not marry. They will not. So if you are in a marriage that is so tough, and you want to divorce your partner, your wife, or your husband, so that you can go and marry another person when that spouse is still living. I want to tell you that don't do it. 
you have to bear that marriage where you are. If you need to separate so that you don't kill each other, that's fine. But do not divorce because God says in Malachi chapter 2, 14 to 16, that he hates divorce. Is that pastor who is telling you that it does not matter? He did not write Malachi. He may interpret it in the most favorable term, but you are coming to the assembly of the, the general assembly of the firstborn, Hebrews chapter 12, where the standard will not be the standard of that pastor, but the standard of the living God. And he said, I hate divorce. So maybe you will need more counseling so that that marriage will work. And if you decide to divorce that woman, you cannot remarry because that is the start. That is statute of grace. Now, why did I go into marriage? I went in there because people will do strange things in the name of marriage and they will say, maybe God will understand. No, that your marriage will pass away. The world in which it exists will pass away. But it's the extent to which we do the will of God that God will begin to look upon you favorably. As some people will say, well, doctor, you cannot mean that. Should I live in a marriage that is giving me hypertension? Well, we can look for other ways to deal with it. But don't tell me that you have found another woman who gives you peace. The Bible says that is adultery. And it's as simple as that. But you may say it's because my wife was so badly behaved. My husband was so brutal and tyrannical that I fell into the hands of another man. That's fine. If that was the case till today, I'm saying as from today, realize that the world, including your marriage, will pass away. But only if you do the will of God will you abide forever. Now, one other strategy that we must now understand before I go into the pressure points is that one of the reasons why we take our eyes off the ball and we lose the game is because we fail to recognize the provisions of grace. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Oh my God. This was a scripture that liberated me from the wants of, my, of the material world. I realized that every single thing that I could aspire for or want or need is already domiciled in Christ Jesus and freely. Let me share this testimony with you. Several years, not several. You know, 2018, I completed my, my, my MSc at King's College London. So you see, you can see me as um, somebody you might call, you know, I'm using the word eternal in a very guarded manner. I don't mean eternal in terms of that, but you know, like uh, a student will always be a student, that sort of a thing. I'm always studying one thing or the other. And when I finished the MSc, at the time I was already a consultant, I just wanted to learn something new about my field. And I, I, I got the privilege of being a chief scholar at King's College. So it was very prestigious. It was nice. <clears throat> when I finished, the Lord said to me, go back to Nigeria and go and wait. They would call you for a PhD. I smiled to myself. I said, you see, this is where I tend to disagree with God. Sorry, forgive me for my impetuousness. You know, I felt, God, let me make the normal moves. Apply like every ordinary person. And then you bless my effort 
but that I will sit in Arrow in Abeokuta and King's College people will call me, please, Lord, let's be realistic. Eh? And he said to me, go and wait. Of course, I had to go back to Nigeria for two years because I had a bond with the hospital. And then I was expected by Chivning to be within my home country for two years to contribute to developmental objectives. So I was in Nigeria for two years. And I said, well, that is understandable. But after two years, I became restless. And I wanted to make moves. And God said to me, I told you to wait. I said, no, I'm waiting, but I need to apply. If you don't want me to go to the UK, I can apply to South Africa or to UI. I could ask for a PhD in psychiatry. Let me move. There's no reason to just wait like a fool because I'm expected to apply. God, it's PhD. It's not, I mean, it's not church business. These people are not born again. They, they need an application letter. He said, no, don't apply, just wait. Okay, so I had to wait because I could not struggle with my maker. The Bible says, woe to him. Woe to him who struggles with his maker. So I waited. You will not believe it, brethren. I found a, an email in my spam folder several months, several almost a year or more later that my supervisor at King's College sent to me, like three lines. Ade, apply for this scholarship. Unbelievable. 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 So I applied for the scholarship. And of course, they did not pick me for the scholarship because it was highly competitive. And I told God, I said, Lord, I told you, we should have, you know, applied to Oxford, Cambridge. These are other places where there are beautiful programs. In fact, there was a program at Manchester that I wanted to do. God said, I didn't send you to Manchester. So after a while, I saw another PhD again at King's. A few months apart, I applied. It was even more competitive than the first. And I was just waiting for them to send me a letter of rejection. That was the sensible thing. If I tried a lower level and my proposal was rejected, how can I take the same proposal to a higher level? That, to me, is foolishness. And God persuaded me to engage in that foolishness. And I followed. The Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Will you believe it? When the letter came, I was given the more competitive scholarship. Till tomorrow, I don't know how. And that's how I found myself in the UK. The point I'm making with that testimony is that if he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for you on the cruel cross of Calvary, how? Explain to me. Will he not freely give you also all things? What can be more precious than his son? Yes, I was told a story. A woman went after Pastor Kumui and was telling her, please listen to me, Pastor. He was trying to get into his car. And the woman was so insistent. And Pastor Kumui turned to her and said, yes, I know it is serious. But what can be more serious than Calvary? Beloved, there is nothing more precious than Calvary. And if God gave you Calvary's grace, then he can give you all things. Now, having borne all of that in mind, you don't love the world. Perilous times are here, but God has given you all things. How do we then deal with the precious? Number one definition is what is a pressure or what are pressures? A pressure is a continuous physical force exerted on or against an object by another object in contact with it or a strong persuasion or coercion 
force to do something. And that is basically pressure. Who is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of Christ. Some people call it little Christ. That's not accurate. We were never intended to be little Christ. Miniature Christ. Never. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are actually intended to come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How can I be a little Christ? A dwarf Christ. No. A dwarf Christ is a carnal believer. First Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I cannot respond to you as spiritual. I cannot speak to you as spiritual. For ye are yet carnal if there are divisions among you. So the, the point I'm making here is that from today, I want all of us to come with another consciousness of who we ought to be. We are not called to be little Christ, miniature Christ. We are called to be followers of Christ so that we can become like him. The Bible says, as he is in the world, so are we. First John chapter 4, as he is in the world, so are we. So we are meant to be like him. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, he are the light of the world. His intensity should be our intensity. As a matter of fact, in John 14, he says, this intensity that we carry should be greater than his own while he was in the world. Amazing. Amazing. He says, you believe in me. The works that I do, shall he do. And greater works than these, shall he do. These are the things that tell us we are. Now, when we talk about a changing world, the alteration we see in our world today is not an alteration of nature, but of measure. The world has remained like this forever. Now, the world that God made was a world in Eden. And when man fell, the devil created a separate system outside Eden. And that separate system has been the same under the control of the prince of the world. The Bible also calls him the God of this world. The Bible also calls him the power, the, the spirits of the power of the air that works in the sons of disobedience. The Bible also calls him principalities and powers. The Bible also calls them spiritual wickedness in their places. The Bible also calls them the rulers of darkness of this world. Now, that is the world that we are in. It's remained the same, but not in measure. It has changed in measure. And that's why Paul refers to the word perilous. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 to verse 10 tells us that that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. Some people think that homosexuality, transgender, cross-dressing is something that is new. No, it was present amongst the ancient Greeks, amongst the Romans. It was there. In, 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 in ancient times, why did God rule against homosexuality? Because it was present among the Canaanites. So the point I'm making here is that the world has not changed in nature. It has only changed in measure. And so, if we understand the nature of what controls the world, we'll be able to deal with both the nature and the measure. So, the world may appear to be changing, but the ways of the ancient serpent remain the same. The world we see today is what he has developed by stealth and deceit. The Father has allowed him for a season to put pressure on men to test their loyalty so that those who are tried and tested 
will be the ones who will inherit the promise. And I guarantee that in this world, you will find these Job's, but you will also find his Judas's. You will find his Eve's who will go to their own you know, place of departure, but you will also find his Esther's who will comply with the purpose of God for the kingdom. There will still be disciples who will succumb and run away in the face of persecution. But there will also be the likes of the three bull men who, st who stood their ground in the face of the fiery furnace. Whatever the scenario, therefore, let us know this, that Satan, the force behind our pressures, he faces his business with his face set as a flint towards hell. We must also mind our own business as men and women whose eyes, whose sights are set on heaven, unshifting. The sole aim of his treasure is to produce corrupt spirituality which will make us unfit for the paradise of God. That was what he did with Eve and Adam. He said you will be like God, a godliness that lacks godliness. That's what he wants to produce. This will bring us to the place of covering our nakedness with the fig leaves of excuses and we'll be negotiating among the trees of, of the garden. We must stop all of that today. Let us come to God naked as we are and tell him where the pressures have gotten to us and we have collapsed. Let us abandon our fig leaves of excuses. Let us get out from behind the trees of negotiation. And let us tell God, the pressure got to me and this was where the axe head of my life fell. Pushing your stick and let the axe head of my life float again. Am I telling you that the pressure is not great? No. And we come to the pressures very quickly because of our time. So while we revel in the garden of life, the devil sneaks in in three phases. The first phase is what I will call today the phase of spiritual isolation. So there are three phases and there are three pressures. And there are three solutions. Now, don't mind that I'm using 333. It's so that it will be easier for us to remember. That is by no means the end of everything. So there are three, three, three phases of the pressure. The first phase is this phase of spiritual isolation. We don't have enough time to go into every verse, but in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says, and he said to the woman, and I'm saying there were two people in the garden. How did he catch one alone? But that is his strategy. And the same thing, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, where you are alone, that is where the tempter will show. So the first step, the first phase is a phase of spiritual isolation. Brother, sister, if you are getting isolated, you are in danger already. It's a perilous place. And whether you like it or not, we will all find ourselves in isolation. Oh, don't you know you can be isolated in a, in a, in a crowd? Oh, yes. And I thank God these are elderly people here, middle-aged people like myself, younger people. You can be in a bus of 30 people and you have traveled like 1,000 kilometers ahead of them. The devil isolates you and invites you to reflect upon your life. So he told Jesus, now that you are here alone and you are hungry, let us have a conversation. Told Eve, what is going on here? So the second phase is the phase of spiritual disputation. I didn't know of another simpler word, but you can call it spiritual argumentation. 
And when you see brethren who are going to fall away from the truth, the first thing you will see in them is that they will be arguing with the standards that they have always held true. And the devil told the woman, as God indeed said, I said, what infantry? What infantry? What is his own business with what God told his children? But he said, as God indeed said, he was asking man to second guess God, to review and revise divine orders, to review and revise divine customs, to embellish divine traditions, to sort of reinvent the instructions of grace. He said, as God indeed said, that men cannot marry men. Is, it that, is, is that what God is saying? Was it the Archbishop of the Bishop of York or so who was actually trying to get the church to apologize for the years that they did not permit same-sex unions in the church? And the Archbishop of Canterbury was trying to encourage the bishops in the global south to begin to consider that position. Argumentation is a plan of the God of this world. Canon law that you have always known. What will be the end of two men who marry each other? The world cannot be replenished. No. And God's intention is for multiplication and replenishing. We don't have time to look at the different levels onto dominion. The, the level of fruitfulness. The level of, 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 of subduing. The level of dominion where we, and where we can exert dominion. The intention of God is not that the human race will go into extinction. Rather, that the human race will multiply to dominate his creation. Same-sex unions can never give you any multiplication of a race. There's, there, I'm not trying to sound a bit harsh or unreasonable. I'm saying that's what the Bible says, and that should be canon law. But I'm sorry for the Anglican Church. I'm not sure that will remain canon law for long, at least in the Church of England. The, 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 the communion here in the UK so Church of Nigeria may have a different view, and I'm praying you will, because the spiritual state of disputation interrogates what God has already established. Look at what he told Jesus in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4. He said, I, if you are the son of God, brethren, did you take time to read the last verse of Matthew chapter 3? The last verse was... This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. How can the devil in chapter 4 begin to establish truth? But that's the devil for you. He isolates you and brings you into a place where you question everything that is God. Finally, there is this, the phase of spiritual infiltration where he suggests and manages to infiltrate your heart with what is not of God but of himself. He told the woman, you will not surely die. He told the woman, your eyes will be opened. And it is true. They did not die in their own eyes. Because their eyes were opened wrongly. But it was not true. It only seemed to be true. They actually died. And they became blind. And that man has been blind ever since. But it looked true. Because that day they did not truly die in the body. Or something died within. The Imago Dei died within. The Zoe, the eternal life of God, died within. And we only rediscovered it in Gethsemane and at Calvary. 
So eventually when they were infiltrated, the Bible says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good, the woman began to see what was good in evil. Something that God has said was not good became good to the woman. And you say her eyes were open. And that's what I call a strange desire. The objective of the stage of infiltration is to generate in you a strange desire, which the Bible now refers to generally as lost. Lost is a state of strong desire. And there are two aspects of the continuity diagram or the continuum. The first part is when you desire something that is good, but that desire is too intense. Or when you actually desire something forbidden, that one will be sin. But the first one is not sin, but it's about to lead you to sin. So I call lost, love misplaced. So what are the forms of pressure? Because I need to begin to round up. The three forms of pressure that come about from the three phases of pressurizing. The first form is the lust of the flesh. And, you know, if you are familiar with management studies and psychology, you would have come across the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Abraham Maslow developed a hierarchy of needs, starting with the physiological needs, air, water, food. Then you have the, the, the security needs. And then you have the belongingness needs, or what you might call the safety needs. Then the belongingness needs, love and belonging. Now, between the physiological needs and the safety needs, what you have is the lust of the flesh. By the time you come to belongingness, you are beginning to move from the lust of the flesh to the lust of the eyes. And by the time you come to self-esteem and self-actualization, you come to the, the pride of life. Now, these are the three basic pressures. And the rest of my talk will focus on those three. The first is the lust of the flesh. And, you know, many of us might be Yorubas. I love this song, old song, by uh, Evangelist Ebenezer Obey. That time, I think it was in the world. He said, Anja de lole ni ele dumale. Jija dewa kamakpa di agbako. Onta oje lanwa lo baba kamakpa di onti oje. And I was thinking what I refer. Is that what we are living for? What we will eat? But you see, even Jesus said it is a major source of our worry. Matthew chapter 6. Do you know that the reason why you promised last week in your office and you signed that voucher, which you were not supposed to sign, was not because you are an evil, fraudulent man, but you did not want to offend those who could take your source of livelihood from you. That was it. You are not a you are not an adropper, you are not you are not a candidate of EFGC custody, but you signed that voucher, and I'm praying that God will help you. I'm praying that God will help me too. I don't sign vouchers, I have my own pressures. Where, where I will look at, it's better not to speak this way so that they will not take my job from me. Do you think I want to die walking? The reason is I don't want my food to vanish out of my sight. But God is saying, no, it's a lust of the flesh. You know, when, when, when you look at your clothes, 
and you see that your your buba or your your your, your shirts are fading something tells you wale you have to you have to act fast and then you will act fast some of you you probably felt i can no longer live in dangerous areas of lagos i must build a house in lekki aja vi or something and in the process of securing your safety and that of your family you decided to do a deal i've had all sorts of things that people do and it's easy to say when they're arrested that can you imagine brother wally went and stole his company's money no i'm not going to condemn brother wally no i'm going to pray that he will quickly get a grip of himself out of the hands of the lust of the flesh he may go to prison i really don't mind but that he may find Christ. Do you know? I go to I've gone to the prison before to minister. There are people in prison who are freer in their spirits than those of us who are bound to the lust of the flesh outside the walls of the prison. It's important for us to realize that the lust of the flesh is fundamental to many of the errors of judgment we make and we betray God. By the time you come to the lust of the eyes, see what Jesus went through. The devil showed him the kingdoms of the world. That's the loss of the eyes. But you see, I, I, I was just wondering, the kingdoms of the world, what did that really mean? When we have read in First John chapter 2, that the world passes away. So the devil was actually trying to swindle him. And you know, that lot was swindled. Oh yes. When it's of, of Sodom. The Bible says at that time, it looked like the garden of God. And he chose that place and he went to his loss. Lot went to his loss. But what did Abraham see? We did not realize what Abraham saw until Hebrews chapter 11. God told Abraham to do a 360 look. South, east, west, north. What will you see when you are turning your head like that? Nothing really, but everything actually. He saw a promise. I mean, I don't know where you are seated today. You must learn to live for the promise, not for the garden. The garden will pass away. Lot's garden passed away. Did Lot know that Sodom and Gomorrah was already earmarked for the brimstone of heaven? Did he know? No. He saw a well-watered garden. And he gave his all for that garden. A garden that was passing away. Was that not the error of Ahab? Ahab took the vineyard of Naboth and wanted to make a garden of herbs. Do you know the difference between a garden of herbs and a vineyard? It will take years for a vineyard to mature. It will take years for a vineyard to exist. Out of the vineyard will come the wine of the spirit, the money, and fed by every. Naboth's garden is a picture. I mean, Ahab's plan of a garden is a picture of a, far, a world that is passing away. And the vineyard of Naboth is a picture of eternal life. When a man replaces the vineyard of Naboth with a garden of herbs, he's a man who lives for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three pressures, really. Oh, no. I need that promotion. I will do whatever it takes. You know, you are looking at it as a man or as a woman. I'm speaking to men mainly, but our wives may be here. You are about to become a partner in a firm. 
but they're asking you to do something that is against your conscience. And if you don't do it, your colleagues will be promoted ahead of you. And say, I will do this one time and God will understand. That is the pride of life. Am, am I condemning you? No, sister, I'm not. Mommy, I'm not condemning you. Daddy, I'm not condemning you. I'm only telling you that you missed your step there. You have to find it again today. Jesus said, I, he did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Might be saved. Oh, somebody's already leading me to the last part of my, of my talk. God bless you, sir. I'm going to the last part because I will never talk about the problem without the solution. So the three principles, let's not forget. You can apply to any part of your life. That's why I'm not going to specific examples because we haven't got the time. What we wear. The, the, the next one is the loss of, of the eyes. I like this. I want to get it to. I need to build a house that is decent. I can't live in a two-bedroom. We have a family of five or seven. I need to build a duplex. And you haven't got any money. And somebody said, look, let's do some insider training. Uh, trading. You can sign the contracts as an insider. It's unethical, but you are doing it. <laughs> it's, it's not because you are, an, you are an evil, reckless human being. It's because the pressure got to you. And the Bible says that he knows you are dust. He knows your frame. He remembers that you are dust. Psalm 103. But he will not always allow you to remain dust because you are carrying that an eternal treasure in that dusty vessel. Man up and rise up in loyalty. The pride of life. I want to become the governor of my state. I was told of a Christian brother who wanted to become, you know, a political uh, a, a politician and wanted to vie for political office. And before long, people came to him and said, look, we need some money. And then he asked them, what was the money for? They didn't want to tell him because they knew he was a Christian. And they said, well, it was to give money to the thugs to buy probably drugs and cutlasses. And the brother was beginning to imagine, okay, what is going on here? I don't know if he did it, but it was a story I had. A young man who told me was that he felt God was calling him to politics. I said, all right, from what I see of your life, you have not grown to that point. But if you think God is calling you, I cannot stop you. Go ahead. He came back to tell me, Daddy, what I told you that time is a different matter. You see, actually, when somebody told me to go with him to a place and we landed in a herbalist house, I said, that is politics. It is not your own duty to say herbalist house, not for me. You see... The radio flames of the fiery furnace, and you say, I will not betray my God. A friend of mine, a deacon, told me he was working with the local government chairman as an appointee. And when it was time to renew his appointment, they called them for a, for a local council meeting or something. And the man brought out a stone. I was asking everybody to swear allegiance and oath to, 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 to. Well, he has not gone hungry ever since because heaven will arise. On the part of those who remain faithful to the call, finally, let's look at three strategies that will help us not to betray God at work, at home, and at play. At home, at work, and at play. We will not betray God. Or because you know we have been betraying God even at play. The Bible says those who do all those things in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we should turn away from them. But what are we doing today? Somebody who is coming to, to the church on the altar or grace trivializing the mystery of speaking in tongues and we are laughing 
play, we are betraying God. At work, we are betraying God. At home, we are not faithful. Or do you not know that it is not faithful when you cannot pray with your wife? That, that is treacherous. And the Bible says, do not you, you acted treacherously. Do not deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. You don't pray with your wife, you don't pray with your children. At home, you are not a faithful man because it's all about you, the pride of life. I know what I'm doing. This prayer is for men alone. I agree. So there's no prayer for men and women. Some of us even go as far as saying women are necessary evil. <laughs> it was the devil who told us the lie we bought it. Well, no, women are not necessarily evil. They, 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 they complete us. And if you call your wife a necessary evil, if you go to any mountain, no matter how high, your prayer will be hindered. The Bible says do not be bitter against it so that your prayer will not be hindered. All right, let me talk about the three streams of overcoming in the workplace, at home, and at play. See, what the devil did to Jesus, he did to Adam, and he's doing to every other, every other Adam in between. But once we become born again, we become new men. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when we become born again and we carry that treasure of grace in our heart and vessel, the Bible tells us that there are three things that exist. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that is where the, I will be ending my talk. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible says, And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, chapter 13 verse 13, but the greatest of this is love. Your faith is like the sheep taking you to the destination. Jesus is our destination. And your hope is the anchor, Hebrews chapter 6. So that when you get to places where there are turbulent weathers, when you get to shores where you must wait for a time, you have an anchor. And finally, love is the passenger that this ship is carrying. The love in your own heart. A love that is provoked because the love of the destination first loved you. Jesus is the love of her. We are the samples of that love. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, he says we love him because he first loved us. When God was telling his children in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said the way out to be able to prosper in the land that I'm taking you to is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The brother was asking the question, it is to love God with all your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And of course, Jesus adds, and your neighbor as yourself. So many things we do wrong today, even at the workplace, is because we don't have true love for our neighbors. And we don't have true love for God. You must love God with the whole, not partial love. So what does that do to you in practical that love strengthens your faith and generates hope that's why the bible calls it the greatest love is the source of your faith and your hope now if you have faith you will find that inside your faith is a hope that never dies the bible says in in hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says faith is the substance of things hoped for the very evidence of your hope the substance of your hope the lifeline of your hope is your faith you can't even become born again without faith. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. He says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
Now, if you have faith, you will not be afraid to lose your job because God will give you hope for another job. So you will say no. And let me tell you, in truth, for those who live by love, faith, and hope, when they say, if I perish, I perish, they hardly perish. Am I saying there are times they don't? Yes, there are times that he did not die there. The three Hebrew men went to the furnace of fire. The fourth man in the fire appeared. Esther said, and if I perish, I perish. She did not perish. Moses was never meant to return to Egypt. He was meant to be, you know, minding his business in the wilderness. But he went exactly in the opposite direction. And God preserved him by his power. Beloved, it is by faith, by hope, and by love that we are going to overcome these pressures. When you lose hope, you will succumb to the pressure. They have told you, Mr. Balola, you must sign that letter. If you don't sign it, things can really happen. I say, I will not sign it. And that's the end of it. They said, they can assassinate you. The truth of the matter is they can. If you are afraid of assassination, then you must question your, 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 your faith and your hope. I am afraid of assassination too. But I must ask myself, by the hope of eternal life, is it possible that God may shield me? Let me start with the truth that God will. And if he doesn't, then I leave the rest to him. That is faith. But hope that he will preserve you. Let that hope be there. The one who preserves your going out and coming in. The one who says that it will be your shade on your right hand and will not allow the sun to smite you by day or the moon by night. I mean, beloved, let's come to a point where the, press, the devil can no longer apply these pressures on us and we cave in every time. Let us muster faith. Let us muster hope. Let us muster love. Love that is unfeigned, that is total in our hearts. A number of things can help us to build faith, love, and hope. I've mentioned four. Number one, be a man of the world. Study your Bible so that when the enemy says, if you are the son of God, you will tell him it is written. I am this, I am that. Number two, prayer. I, I like to refer to prayer and Bible study like referring to a giant. When you study your Bible, you will be, you will be, you will grow in faith. So you will be like a giant. But if you are not a prayerful person, you will be a giant who is sick. You will still be a giant, but you will know have no might. How do I know? Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He says, he told them this parable to the end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. When a man is not praying, he will be fainting. And the Bible says in Proverbs 24, 10, that if you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is not small. I mean, it's, it, your strength is small. It is not saying your giant hood is in question. You are still a giant but your strength may be small. The number three thing is fellowship. That will help you not to be isolated. No time today to look at Judges 18. It talks about the story of a people called the people of Laish. They stood alone. They had no business with any man. And when the Danites came, they were looking for a new place to dwell in. They destroyed them. The Bible says they were destroyed that day because they were too far from the nearest city. And they had no business with any man. And the Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron, and a man sharpens the face of his brother. Fellowship will help you to avoid that first phase of isolation. And finally, sweet communion with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the life blood that charges your faith, hope, and love. 
When you enter into communion with him, he will tell you things that the assassins do not know. He will tell you things that will make those who want to terrorize you in the office begin to cringe with fear. Yes, you will get to the office and people will be running away from you, those who were chasing you before. Beloved, I would like to end on this note that the devil is at the base of all the pressures and that it brings pressure in three phases. The phase of spiritual isolation, the phase of spiritual disfiltration, and the phase of spiritual infiltration. When he achieves with infiltration, he brings three forms of pressure. Basically, and to explain all forms of pressure, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But I challenge you that if today you will grow in your love for God, in your hope that is generated by love and faith on faith, then you'll be able to withstand the pressure. And there are four way areas that I mentioned. Your Bible study, your prayer, your fellowship life and communion with the Holy Ghost. These four will combine to generate a spiritual capacity in you to be able to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passion and to be able to live godly, soberly and righteously in this changing world. I pray God will bless us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so very much, Dr. Adegwe Gogonale, for that uh, scripturally rich, practically relevant lecture that you have delivered passionately, passionately. And we give all the glory to God for the grace that he has given you uh, to deliver such a practically relevant lecture and for also the knowledge to back your position up with the word of God. I believe that uh, all of us here, we've been blessed and edified. And I'm thankful for the question we have now, because this is the time for us to interact with our lecturer. If you have questions or contributions, you can type them in the chat box here and we'll read them out and Dr. Gwale will uh, will address them. If you also want to to speak, please feel free. Just indicate by uh, by raising your hand uh, on the Zoom platform, and then we we unmute your microphone and allow you to to speak. Uh, Doc, you've seen this right uh, in the chat room, saying in practical terms, yes. what are some strategies for Christians to maintain their faith in the workplace without compromising their beliefs? And I'm glad that you uh, you made references to pressure points in the workplace for Christians, and and as you rightly mentioned. Right, when the pressure attaches to one's source of livelihood, uh, it becomes a pressure indeed, right? It becomes a pressure indeed because we are all mindful of that. You don't want to lose your source of livelihood. And that is yes, why you find matter. the pressure point for Christians would always, more often than not, go through that route. So in practical terms, for somebody who is under pressure to do something unethical, something unchristian in the workplace, uh, what would be your advice to such a one? Yeah, thank you very much. The truth of the matter is that nothing is more, is more practical than the word of God. Beautiful. So they come to you with a belief system. You must counter it with a belief system. So mm. some one, one time, Somebody came to my house. I was with my senior colleague mm. in his own house. And my wife called me. Somebody had brought a bag of rice to say thank you for the job we gave you. I was just, I, I don't control a large budget. It was just a small job. 
and he felt that he needed to say thank you and he brought a bag of rice now the entire job that we gave to this man i think was a pretty job of maybe forty thousand naira or so and i'm thinking at the time a bag of rice was eight thousand naira now let's say that he made a profit of 20 percent on that printing job that was when he made eight thousand let's say he now made a profit of say 40 percent he probably made sixteen thousand. now he's giving me a bag of rice what for so i told my wife tell them to return the bag of rice i don't want that the bag of rice and he because of okay, okay, your, your network is a bit poor or maybe the connection just check it just a little bit go ahead but you see the reason i did that was but not all things are expedient or maybe a scripture like elder scripture and proverbs or ecclesiastes ahead of time or bribe I, I, can you hear me now yeah i think it's better oh my god just maybe speaking to you okay, okay good. Somebody let's see yes i'm not i'm just not using the headphones you know you should have told me before now i'm really sorry no 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 no, no. your lecture was fine just now when you were responding oh, to the questions good good i'm not using it anymore so that's the point i mean somebody will come to me as a doctor and say well this 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 pregnancy has to be aborted that was the days when i was in general practice and i'm saying no i, I don't do that i mean what is wrong with telling somebody i don't abort i mean if, if i don't abort i don't because the person who is coming to say let's abort they abort and they believe what they believe i believe what i believe i don't abort i mean a woman comes to my office i mean there was a, 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 a nurse a student was extremely pretty girl i'm telling you the truth and even if my wife my, was here, I would have said it. I'm very open with my wife, very pretty girl. We saw her at the business center. And she greeted me and I greeted her. Thereafter, when we met on the world, the lady looked at me in a rather, you know, in a rather salacious manner. I was telling the doctor, I was greeting you. You did not really answer me. Was it because your wife was there? What in front? That was the last time I had anything to really talk with her. But I did not condemn her. And I did not fight with her. I simply told her, I, I greeted you. Now, she was using that to lure me into sort of becoming friendly. Not that she wanted me to speak with her, but she just wanted me to become friendly so that I will not be too hard on myself and I will not be too hard on her. And when she has gotten me into a state of isolation, then she will start the disputation. What is wrong in us having a good time of chatting? And there is nothing wrong. Eventually, we will get to the stage of infiltration, and I've been there before. When you become so infatuated with the woman, you can't even sleep well. So, what are we talking about? Thank God that was before I got married, though. I give God all the glory for that. So, now that I'm married, when I see the traces, I do not say it is lawful. I say all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
the scriptures that we study, they are meant to inform our belief system. So in the workplace, that's what you inform our belief system. So I have to make my long answer short. Please, let us be students of the Bible who carry what we study into our everyday lives. Number two, when we are not sure, wait. The Bible says, be examples of them who through faith and patience. Wait. Inherited the promise. Wait. Don't take any decision. I mean, there was a time I got two scholarships that I was not entitled to. One, I was entitled to. But one of them, I said, if I got two, I should relinquish one. That if I got to have to relinquish their own, I got Chevron and I got Shell. This was years ago in the university. And people around me said, well, God don't care. Chevron has enough money. Don't worry. Nobody's looking at that side. They told me, Shell does not care that one way guys in the lorry. Don't worry. If I, a fellow told me, he said, if I can collect three, I will collect it together. Who cares? But I went to my disciples, missionary friends that I had, and we sat down and we began to reflect. What should the Christian do? And they said, no, the Christian must keep faith. And then I, with the assistant, drafted a letter to Chevron to say, thank you, but I must now decline. I did not have so much money. But because I had understood the word of God and I sought the counsel of godly men, I was able to say, no, a Christian does, does not do that. So if you do that, you feed yourself with the word of God, you seek godly counsel, oh my God, you will be godly and yet you'll be prosperous. You'll be a Job in the marketplace. You'll be a Joseph in your Egypt. You'll be a Daniel in your Babylon. I guarantee you that. See Daniel, was there a time he compromised? I'm not saying that you should become so self-righteous and holier than thou. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not even like that at all. Friendly, very uh, crap jokes are nice. But when you cross that line and you invite me to betray my maker, oh God, I will tell you that I serve him. And since you don't serve him, we must divide that point. I pray God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen indeed. Oh, yes. Thank you very much for answering that. Okay, we have two more questions and let, maybe others will come in, but we're going to end at 9.30 by the grace of God. This, this one says, what's your view on restitution where a Christian has compromised in the past but now has a change of heart? What's your view on restitution? So, I mean, that's implying when that person compromised, maybe that person made uh, an unholy profit on only gain. What's your view of restitution? And then the follow-up, can restitution be in secret? Can it be in secret? You know, it's possible for you to make restitution without uh, letting the person that you have defrauded know. Things like that. I mean, these questions come up from time to time. What's your view? That's the question. Yes, my view. My view is, number one, the only thing that guarantees us eternal life is salvation, not restitution. Mm. So, you must never make restitution a law or a rule. Now, Paul was writing to a set of believers. He said, let him that stole steal no more. He did not say he should go and return what he stole. Mm. Now, why he didn't say that is because circumstances differ from person to person. Yeah. So a change of heart is from now on. Whatever happened in the past, you must now look at it on its own merit. I have said two different things now. Number one, salvation is what we take it to heaven, not restitution. But within salvation, there may be a need for restitution. Mm. However, the standard is case by case. 
Because even the most important thing in repentance is from now on, go and sin no more. Not that go back and tell every man that you slept with, that you're sorry, or every woman that you slept with the husband, go and apologize to them. You know, the woman that was caught in adultery, John yeah. chapter 8, he said, go and sin no more. So that is the primary standard. Now let's come to the secondary standard. And this secondary standard is at the level of conscience. So restitution is a conscientious matter. So if the Holy Ghost now places it on your conscience that you must make good the wrong that you have done, then you will patiently receive instructions. That is when you will know whether it will be done openly or in secret. And then you will carry it out. Now, if you do not carry out what the Holy Spirit is in, is imposing, because I would never not use the word impose. The Holy Spirit does not impose. He's, he's encouraging, yes, you to do. Then you will be living in sin and lack of peace. So it's not everybody who is in that state. Mm. It is based on the merit of each case. And when I see people making a doctrine out of restitution, I hope they, treat, they teach it properly. Because if somebody went out now, gave his life to Christ, and had already committed murder or committed armed robbery, and then as he was crossing the road, he got knocked down by a car and he died, after giving his life to Christ, he will still get to heaven without any restitution. And God is not a God who applies standards uh, arbitrarily, but he applies standards merit by merit, based on what he wants to use each life for. So if your life is one, when the restitution must be made publicly, you will bear that shame. I recall a brother of mine, younger brother, not related by blood in the church. At the time, I was, a I was the chairman of the Family Life Committee of our church. This young man, very close to me, was attending our house fellowship. And, and he told me when he started having strong, strange desires, and he slept with his uh, fiancée. And I told him, you can't do that. It's not a gun in short. Somehow, he got the lady pregnant. And because he was a godly brother who understood what was happening, he got married to her. But because he was a leader in church, in a sense, he was in the choir, he had to be disciplined publicly. Oh, my God. I had to do a lot of pep talk to get him and the wife to church that morning because the shame was too much for the wife to bear. The wife, the wife grew up in a deeper life family. Her parents are deeper life members. So they were really ashamed of what she did, but they, they still accepted them. But now they had to be punished or disciplined. Let's use the word discipline. And I was his, like his elder brother, and I was the chair of the family life committee. I was to announce them, bring them to the presence of the entire congregation and announce their error. But I told him, brother, if you allow this wound to be exposed and cleansed by spiritual fire, you'll be fine. Don't worry, come. He spoke with the wife, I encouraged him. They came. I tell you the truth. The brother today, very few people remember what he did. He has become president of the youth fellowship. He's now one of the very cogent leaders in church. He's a, an interpreter for our ministers and for guest ministers. And I look at his life, I say, ah, with what people now know of him and the public display of his, of his misjudgment, the truth is, when God says it has to be public, do it publicly. When God says it is secret and it is fine, do it secretly. No other fast rule, but it follows these ways that I've tried to explain in my own little understanding. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen indeed. Thank you so very much. And I'm sure that, I, I mean, that, that provides 
clear clear guidance on that matter. Okay, this other one as well. How do you single yourself out in a world of many who tend to profess Christ yet lure you into sinful acts? So this this about peer pressure. Uh, when you are in the midst of many who lure you into sinful, how do you single yourself out? This is coming from one of our brothers. Oh, I love I love this brother's question because I mean it's very practical. Mm. You are not a child, and you are moving with a group, and then you 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 cannot afford to be too different all the time. It's only sensible, and I agree with you. But you see, back to my first answer, it's your belief system. It has nothing to do with uh, Demas is going to Thessalonica. He can go. Mm. No, Demas can go to Thessalonica. But God has not sent me to Thessalonica. I must stand my ground. So, beloved, let us be careful about brethren who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. As a matter of fact, what the Bible tells us in that second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 is instructive. He says, from such, turn away. Turn away, yeah. One thing you must do is to make sure that they are not your counselors. They are not your friends and that you are different from them. So you are not trying to stable yourself and leave that one. It's a very, it's, that one is an ulterior objective. Let your immediate objective be, if they are going west, you will go east because their west is already wrong. You have said it. What mm-hmm. they're asking you to do is already wrong. Just don't do it. After a while, you'll be singled out. It's, yeah. not, it's not an objective that you start with. For example, I, I never try to single out myself. I try to be friendly with everybody. I remember long ago I went for a conference. And you see, I'm a Baptist. As part of the Baptist creed is that we don't drink alcohol, we don't sell it, and we don't... I know that in some Anglican churches, people drink alcohol. So I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody on this platform. But I'm telling you my own personal experience. So as I grew... Again, I just decided that I would never drink alcohol. So I went for a conference, and it was a conference of academics. And you know, academics, they love that easy life. After a hard day's work, they like to smoke, they like to drink. Some like humanizing as part of relaxation. So I was like the only person who was in drinkers. I usually uncomfortable with non-drinkers when they sit together. But I was wondering, oh, yeah, me. You are drinking your own and you are enjoying it. I'm drinking my own too and I'm enjoying it. So they said, oh, Adi, you will live forever. And we laughed about it. I was once invited to a friend's house in Vancouver, Canada. I mean, it was my, it was my host. And everybody else, I think, was drinking wine. I, the guest, I was the only one who did not drink the wine. He did not become too offended. And if he did, I did not see. Because I will not drink wine because of Ron. Fantastic man. Old enough to be my father, but a friend. I did not drink wine because Ron offered me wine. No, because I don't drink it. You must be that man who stands out first with his God. See, a man can never single himself out unless he first stands properly with his maker. Stand with your maker. Let your standards be the standards of your maker. When people say, well, I mean, let's accept that things can go wrong. If the man wants to divorce, he can divorce the wife and remarry. Let's just understand and bear with him. Tell them that you are not condemning the man, but that your standard is not divorced. Full stop. After a while, they will single you and they say, don't take it to Mr. Badilola because mama will mama will you'll be saying something, you'll be saying something else. And after a while, when they really need the truth, secretly, they must play at night. 
they will say, Shola, I know you are the only one who fears God here. Please come and help. And it's such a beautiful life. It initially looks like isolated from them, and you are sort of a, an outcast. Oh, but it's a beautiful outcast. Abraham became an outcast out of Mesopotamia. Jesus was an outcast. The first disciples, 120 of them, were outcasts. In fact, their first meeting that brought many, they thought they were drunk. In Antioch, they were derog- they, they, they called them derogatory names like Christian because they were so different. Make peace with your difference is a beautiful thing. For it is what it means to be light shining in the dark world. I pray God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Doc, for the lecture and for answering all the questions that we have received today. I'm sure that everyone who has been on this call uh, has been blessed indeed. Again, I repeat it. Uh, it's a yeah, particularly relevant lecture. Sorry, what did you say? Brother Ogunto Complex, uh, maybe he's having issues with his link. Okay. Brother you come on. Okay. Okay, good, good, good. Thank you very much. So I was saying that, so you already answered that question, and I was saying thanks to him for answering that question and also for delivering the lecture within the time frame and for giving the guidance he has given. Again, I repeat it, that's a passionately delivered lecture uh, because indeed uh, the matters that you have covered, they are relevant matters indeed. I want to say thank you to everybody who has joined us. I'm going to call on the president of the Christian Companion Society uh, to say the vote of thanks and to invite uh, one of our of our priests to say the closing prayer. I know Reverend Swansea is here and Reverend Akin Gola, but I'll leave that to the president. Over to you now, president. Well, um, we, I, on behalf of the Christian Companion family, we want to, I mean, appreciate, we're appreciating Dr. Adigwega Gwali for honoring us with uh, the acceptance of our invitation to deliver this lecture. Uh, it's been very, very beneficial for me and there's a lot that I have all have gained from this lecture. Um, uh, for most of the time, in fact, for all the time that Jesus was with us on this plane, he was referred to as the rabbi, which is the teacher, the teacher of the word. And of course, uh, we he, he, that's context and description of Jesus must be acknowledged from the way he went round, trying to make people to understand the word of God. And a lot of times, Jesus did study, Bible study with even his disciples. He asked them questions. And on the basis of their answer, he will illustrate what is the will of God. So um, I'm happy for some of the things that we have learned today. Uh, I can I noted one or two things. Uh, our, uh, our teacher here today mentioned the need for us to study the Word of God. Because at the point of pressure, the Word of God is always our defense. It's always what enables us to confront the pressures of life. He also mentioned the fact that fellowships are good because iron sharpens iron. 
So, and of course, this is a kind of fellowship that we've had today. And of course, in Christian Companions, we uh, value our fellowships. It's very, very important because when we come together to discuss the Word of God, we learn from the experiences uh, that we share during such uh, sessions. I want to thank everybody that has joined us here. I noticed that we all together had more than 60 uh, people on this platform uh, in the course of the uh, lecture. And uh, it's, uh, it's something very, very heartwarming that uh, we've had this and the attendance has been very good. So um, I want again to appreciate Dr. Adeboega Ogunwali. We will always consider you next time for similar lectures and everything that you can do to add value to the community of companions and our church at large. I also want to thank Brother Femi Oguntoku, uh, the incoming General Secretary of Christian Companion for organizing this. I want to thank the, our anniversary committee too for organizing this lecture. I appreciate everybody that has attended here today. Uh, uh, so many members of the church that I could see. I don't want to start mentioning names because if I mention names, I will offend people. Uh, there are so many of them, all of them, very wonderful people, very, very loving people. And uh, I want to enjoy every society to take advantage of the anniversaries to organize similar things like this. I know one is coming up later today, and that is the uh, lecture. That's the program of uh, the Ambassadors, Ambassadors for Christ. For Christ. So please, let's join the Ambassadors for Christ, I think at 5 p.m., to yes. also be part of their lecture. And I know it's also going to enrich our knowledge, our experience, and our exposure to the realities of today's living. Uh, let me now invite my very, very good reverend, Someone that calls me with his own peculiar uh, name, uh, Reverend William Swansea. Uh, I noticed that he kept coming in and out. I think it's, it was his link that was unstable. So Reverend Swansea, if you're still here, please will appreciate if you give us the closing prayer. I also want to thank the clergy. Let me also recognize them. Uh, our own clergy, Reverend Akimbola, whose birthday was a few days ago. Uh, we appreciate you. You have been a source of spiritual development for companions. Uh, Reverend Swansea, we also appreciate you. Every time you stood on the pulpit, you delivered the work of God, the word of God, uh, with, with a lot of passion, with a lot of truth. So, Reverend Swansea, can you close this session for us by the by giving us the closing prayer? Thank you, everybody.
Oh, maybe Reverend Swansea is not here. Hello. No, he's here. He's going to please, please unmute, sir. Okay, if Reverend Swansea is not here. No, the host uh, uh, muted me, so I was waiting for him to. Oh, mute okay, me. okay, yes. okay. Go ahead, sir. The Lord be with you, and also, and also with, with you. you. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give thanks to your holy name for the grace and the enablement for your children to gather together on this platform this morning just to learn at your feet. For your word made us to understand that on daily basis, we should learn from you through your word to show ourselves approved. We pray that, Father, what has been done today shall be recorded for us in a greater way in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We thank God for the resource person for this program today. It is our prayer that as God is using you to teach others, you will not fail in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You will not take people to the kingdom of God and be rejected by God in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We pray that on daily basis, God will strengthen him. Amen. God will give him that understanding, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the spirit to overcome as we have been taught today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May lecture be recorded for him for good in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Amen. To all of us, the receivers of today, Lord, we cannot do it by our own strength. And so we ask for the enablement of the Holy Spirit to always strengthen us, to always reveal God to us, to always teach us and give us inner understanding and the strength to do them so that today's lecture and what we have learned so far will not be used against us Amen. on the day of judgment in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We pray for the society companion whom God you have used to bless us with your word this morning. May you bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May Amen. what has been deposited in their hands never be taken from them. Amen. Never fall from their hands in the name of Jesus. Amen. They will Amen. not be disgraced in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Amen. as they work for you, tirelessly, Lord, we pray that you will always remember to bless them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We will not hear bad news concerning all the members of companions and your households in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Amen. we decree upon you. Backward never we decree upon you. Amen. Amen. The societies that march from strength to strength in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, O oh Lord, as we depart from this platform, may we not depart to destruction. Amen. May Amen. we not depart to bad news. Amen. May we not Amen. depart to death in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Unto God's gracious Lord, His mercy, loving kindness, and protection, I commit each and everyone on this platform. May the Lord bless and keep you. Amen. May Amen. Continue upon you. Amen. May the Amen. Lord lift his countenance and be gracious unto you. Amen. And may Amen. the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with us all and always. Amen. 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 On behalf of our vicar and archdeacon, the Venerable Gabriel Ajibo Ifaoli, we wish to thank the resource person for today the executive and the committee, 
that made this program to come to pass and all of us that made this program a success. May God bless you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. He Amen. Greetings to all of you because he's engaged in a diocesan program. And he says, all is well with you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank Amen. you very much. Amen. Amen. Thank you very Thank much, you, Reverend. Reverend Swansea, please com uh, convey our uh, regards to our Father in the Lord. Uh, yes, he's sir. been well represented with you and uh, Reverend Akimbola here. We appreciate uh, everybody. Uh, thank you, Brother Wutokun. Thank you. Thank God. Uh, it's, uh, we, we have, and uh, please, everyone, we want you to join us for our Thanksgiving tomorrow. And uh, we pray that the good Lord will continue to be with us. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much. Uh, Dr. Gumale, once again, thank you. God bless you. We look forward to joining the Ambassadors for Christ's annual lecture at 5 p.m.